Welcome back to the Community Psychiatry Podcast. In this special session, which was originally recorded in October 2020, Dr. Michael Flom interviews Dr. Peter Chan about the Acute Recovery Center at the Heinz VA Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, which was a 2020 National Veterans Affair Shark Tank finalist. Okay. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you. I think you know that I've been kind of a fan of this program that you really started and implemented now several years ago for a while, but I I understand there are other fans that have developed. So talk to us a little bit about this work. How did it all begin? I took a clinical job at the Heinz VA where I work outside Chicago, Mm -hmm. and I tried to build in actually some community psychiatry elements from it. So I had a clinical piece and I worked with their housing program and their work, their vocational program. But soon after I started, I was approached by our chief who basically told me that they wanted to try something new, that they felt like there was some some gap between their inpatient services and their outpatient services that they wanted to try to fill, but they weren't sure how to do that. What were they trying to accomplish? Well, I think they were really just trying to find a way to treat more people outpatient. And we took on as our mission to design something that would keep more people out of the hospital was Mm. the mission that we took on. Okay. So I think the idea was that at least we took on the idea, if somebody presented to your emergency room or somebody presented to your clinic in crisis, Mm -hmm. and you did everything you could as an outpatient to keep them out of the hospital, what types of services would you want that would keep the most people out of the hospital? So if you did everything you could using the traditional services that you had available at the time, you were then asking, what more could we do that could really prevent people from coming into the hospital? Yes, Uh, particularly people in crisis. Many, if not most of the people that we work with have some level of suicidal ideation, sometimes Mm -hmm. pretty severe. And the VA sees that as their number one mission, suicide prevention and all of their Uh medical services. Uh So what could we do to try to address that crisis population, people that have suicidal ideation in the spirit of what the national VA is trying to do on an outpatient basis? That would not be, that would try to limit hospitalization as much as possible. Yeah. If we could design, because part of your calculation when you're thinking about whether to hospitalize somebody is what are the alternatives that I have? Right. So if we can design an ideal alternative that would be a a strong possibility. So when you're thinking of putting somebody in the hospital, you say, well, we have this other alternative, which would be the better fit. What would a very attractive other outpatient alternative look like? Okay. That's what we took on as so our So that mission. was the genesis of it. That was your challenge. Yes. So what did you come up with? What was that model? My background before I was a psychiatrist was a community organizer. Mm. So I came at it from a real community building experience. Yes. What kind of group community could we do? Brought my own interest to that. How could we address crisis in a way that was mental health promoting. So not Mm -hmm. just constantly talking to people about suicidality, but really trying to grow mental health from that crisis point. Mm. Came from it from a mental health recovery standpoint. I 
with many others, had worked on the Recovery to Practice initiative. What does it mean to take a concept like mental health recovery and put that into practice? And here I was with a chance to design some clinical service from scratch. And so really trying to think through what would a mental health recovery approach to that look like? Something that really took into account the veterans' views was very patient-centered, very welcoming, kind of very connected to someone's life. And I co-created this program with a psychologist. Her name was Megan Mayberry, and she was basically a super psychologist and psychotherapist. And she came at the task of designing something from a very strong DBT background Mm. and really a strong background in just trying to think about very concrete mental health skills that people could use. And our instincts weren't always exactly the same, Mm -hmm. but we found a way to really merge these two separate clinical backgrounds and and interests into something that did both. Recovery-oriented community organizer and a seasoned dialectical behavioral therapy-inclined clinician. Therapist, yes. And so what we came up with was a group Mm-hmm. where our hope is that it's super welcoming, mm-hmm. that the veteran experience is that it's super eventually applicable to their life. We run this group Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, three hours from 9 to 12, which many days also includes individual sessions in that time. Mm-hmm. But in the background of the group are clearly grounded DBT and other skills, uh, skills that we've borrowed from different types of evidence-based psychotherapies. Mm -hmm. And we paired that all with a real strong attention, assessment, and specific treatment of suicidality. Mm. So something that we're constantly asking people about when we meet with people individually assessing and using specific things like CBT for suicide prevention or something Uh that's suicide-specific to manage risk. Mm -hmm. So I think people's group experience is a strong experience of community and skill building. We think of it both as a process and an educational group. Mm -hmm. So we pay a lot of attention to the process of the way people are relating to you know, what the community is like, how we can be more welcoming to people. And we want them to leave with very concrete mental health skills drawn from things like DBT, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy, kind of behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy that come from evidence-based psychotherapies, Mm -hmm. even if not, we're not running the full psychotherapy model. Right. So you mentioned the word managing risk in there, and it sounds like VA or the powers that be were willing to take on some risk here because this was not typical, right? Someone's presenting at your emergency room with suicidal ideation, especially eight years ago, admit, and you're not doing that. Well, that has been one of our challenges. I am not 100% sure that we had that risk discussion as much as we could have ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not 100% sure they knew exactly what we were developing. (laughs) (laughs) 
But it became very clear that that was one of the real things to negotiate was, you know, how is it that we were seeing and treating risk uh, in the acute recovery center? You know, this program we developed. And how is it? it, The acute recovery center? Yeah, that's right. And how is it that our leadership was comfortable, if they were comfortable with the risks Mm -hmm. that we're taking, including the other clinicians, like the people that would refer to us? Like, how do they see risk and how comfortable would they be referring uh, somebody they're working with to this program? And I think that came over time. I think initially there was clearly some uh, needed discussion about that, that maybe even could have happened earlier. Mm -hmm. But I do see us as a program, and we've certainly developed over time, as taking on people who are in crisis, people who have suicidal ideation, sometimes suicidal intent, sometimes suicidal plans, sometimes preparation, and people who easily could be in a hospital, like nobody would think twice about that, and really trying to work with them on an outpatient basis. That's what we have done over time. And I think it's really taken some discussion and really some experience for people to become more and more comfortable with that, especially in a VA environment where the national goal, the stated number one goal of the Veteran Affairs Health Services is suicide prevention, which I, at least in my perception, I see as a somewhat risk-adverse environment, not an environment where people necessarily want to take a lot of risk. Exactly, exactly. But here you are now eight years down the road. Yeah. So obviously... Something is going well, I guess. So tell us a little bit about your experience and and also just flesh it out a little bit in terms of the experience of the person in the program. How long are they likely to stay and, you know, those kinds of things. Right. So we've had the advantage of working in a very rich uh, mental health environment. So I work in a department that has 40 psychiatrists, more therapists than that, and we have dozens of programs, of mental health programs uh, within our uh, VA hospital system. Mm -hmm. So we did not feel like we needed to do everything. So this is a piece of the array of services. That's right. Short of hospitalization, it sounds like. That's right. So we felt like we were trying to fit a very particular gap, receive people in crisis, try to work Mm -hmm. with them on an outpatient basis, but no, we had rich services on the back end that we could refer people to. So really just mm-hmm. try to get people on the right track. So we developed a Monday, Wednesday, Friday program. It runs from nine in the morning to noon. So mm-hmm. three hours a day, three days a week. Mm-hmm. And we keep everybody for three weeks. Really? Yes. That's just kind of the way it is. This is a three-week program. If you start it, expect to be here for three weeks and don't expect to be here for shorter or longer. There are rare occasions when we will make a a change to three weeks. We are clinicians and we like to feel like we're doing the clinically responsible thing. But our focus was to fit a gap, get people going the right direction and transition them to any of a number of other rich outpatient programs that we have. Got it. Got it. So how's it going? Well, on a day-to-day basis also for you as a clinician, are you still in the trenches as it, as it oh were? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Well, 
I think it's been a phenomenal experience, both for the veterans, because I feel like their experience is one of welcoming, you know, mm-hmm. one of mental health skills. I feel like the veteran experience is the same experience that would be valuable to almost anybody, mm-hmm. to school children, really yeah. learning what are some fundamental ways to handle things like intense emotion, distressing thoughts. Mm. And really kind of think about mental health recovery, like what life values really motivate you? What is a life worth living for you? How can you manage the symptoms and strive for what's important to you uh, as defined by you? So I feel like even though as clinicians, we really think about both the risk element and the mental health recovery element. I feel like the overall experience for veterans is one of, of mental health recovery yeah, and one that they, they've really welcomed. So, you know, they come in, we really welcome and have people introduce themselves. We do the mini mindfulness exercise every time they come in, really mm-hmm. ground them in the group, uh, ground them in the room. And then we just start talking about a topic where at all times, we're just really encouraging people to try to apply whatever idea or skill we're talking about to their own life and situation and generate you know, as much participatory discussion around that as possible. Mm-hmm. So I feel like veterans really feel like all the time we're trying to do something that applies to their day-to-day experience. I feel like they are they feel supported in a group of other veterans that are trying to do the same thing. So in a way, a group of people that are all struggling, but also in a really nice way, a group of people that are constantly trying to help each other out. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many magical things about group. One, you realize that while you've been in crisis, which is very isolating, you realize that many other people can relate to your experience. So many times people say something to me like, when so-and-so said these words, that could have been me. So the same words that I'm feeling, somebody else said them. So we really, I think their experience is one of really being in this very supportive community. And then we teach them very practical things like here are five things you can do when you're feeling really intense emotion. Mm-hmm. And none of them are rocket science. We might do a couple versions of deep breathing exercises. Yeah. We might do a progressive muscle relaxation. We might really think about times when people have acted or resisted acting on very strong emotional urges yeah. and just kind of try to break down what people do at those times. So you know, we talk about things that seem very real life. They, in a way, don't seem like they're that sophisticated. But when you really get down to trying to implement that in your day-to-day experience, it's much easier said than done. Mm-hmm. So it's very relevant. And while understandable, takes a lot of practice and can be hard to yeah. really implement. I mean, all of us have hard, hard times when we get intensely angry or intensely sad. And I think the experience of the veterans is that the more we talk about it, the more those moments slow down a little bit. I think one question that must come up a lot, though, is what you said about veterans saying, 
those could have been my words. Yes. I mean, you hear that in a lot of group settings. You hear that in 12-step programs. Mm. But the difference, of course, is a time unlimited versus a really quite circumscribed program. So what's that transition like at the end of three weeks? And what are people transitioning typically into? Our goal is just to stabilize, stop the free fall, stabilize, and just point people the right way. Just turn the trajectory. Yes. And what's really wonderful about the three-week piece of it is we take a rolling cohort so Mm. that at one point you're the newest member of the group. And usually what happens is people are encouraging you. They're saying, hey, I've been here a couple weeks longer than you have. Seems kind of strange at first, but it makes more sense over time. Give it a shot. So we really have people encouraging, not just us, but usually the group is encouraging people as they start. And then at one point, you're the most experienced person in the group. (laughs) And you then have that influence over new people that are starting because people are constantly coming and going. Something to offer. That's right. And when people end the three weeks, you know, we give them their moment to just reflect, say anything Mm -hmm. about their experience or what they've learned. Mm -hmm. So there's a way in which the support element is so important to me that you get both that reflective piece that other people are feeling the way I do and different levels of leadership in the group where you start out and you're just learning what they are, what's going on. And at some point you're helping other people figure out what's going on. And maybe that's, I don't have a lot of experience with the 12 step support groups, but it, maybe that's a little bit of what their experience is like. We condense it in this three week time frame, but I think that's a big part of people's growth, really Mm -hmm. feeling how can I contribute to this other group, to this group of people, some of whom are just figuring out like what's going on. I'd like to transition at some point to also hear a little bit about what the experience is like for you as a clinician doing this work. Just to finish a transition to all kinds of other programs, but they mostly go back to their outpatient providers. So they Mm -hmm. mostly go back where they came from. Mm -hmm. So they'll go back to their psychiatrist or their psychiatrist plus therapist or something like that. We might supplement it with some community resources, or we might supplement it with recreation therapy, or we have a wellness program. People could go anywhere, but they most commonly go back to wherever they came from. So my experience as a clinician in the program is that it's intensely satisfying. One, because we have had the freedom to really constantly try to do whatever we felt is right. So we have no other goal than to try to deliver what we think is the best three-week experience for veterans that we can. Mm-hmm. So it's very satisfying because you get to read and say, gosh, you know, this has worked for other people. Let's try it out. Yeah. So we, for example, have made lots of changes over time. And mm-hmm. we started, for example, directly measuring suicidality. We started using the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale just based on reading about it. And so we can actually uh, monitor where people are in in their score which is a measure of how suicidal they are. 
we started, one point we said, well, why don't we do suicide-specific psychotherapy? And that's how mm-hmm. we started doing cognitive behavioral therapy for suicide prevention. We're mm-hmm. constantly just adjusting the groups and the lessons we run. So somebody says, hey, I really like this part. We emphasize that a little bit more. Somebody yeah. says, hey, what about this? You tried this at home and this has really worked for me. And we think, gosh, that could help other veterans. So in a way, that's super satisfying to right. have some control and to really be completely focused 100% on what's the best clinical experience that we can deliver. We don't have to worry about the payer source. Once people are in the VA system, we're just constantly just trying to adjust what we do. And so my experience doing that, and I both get to administer and think about the work, but I'm also doing the work every day. And my experience is that the feeling that the work feels right have that feeling every time, like this is the right work, people are connecting. I feel like we're constantly giving people a chance. Yeah. Not everybody necessarily gets to where I want them to go in three weeks, but I constantly think we're giving people a chance, a chance for them to turn things around and the interactions are good and and that's very satisfying. So just kind of One thing I just wanted to get to briefly is I'm trying to kind of figure out where this is on the overall arc of kind of an emerging best practice toward a more prescribed, say, evidence-based model. Obviously, you're incorporating lots of evidence-based practices, just like, say, a, a sort of community treatment program does. But then at a certain point, ACT became its own fully established evidence-based practice. I think, if I remember correctly, you have had some previous efforts at replication. Mm-hmm. So can handy. you talk a little bit about, about that piece of the, the arc toward sort of a more established evidence-based practice? It's so funny because our name is the Acute Recovery Center, and when you shorten it, you come to ARC. Mm. So we call ourselves the ARC program, and you can think of that as the ARC of veterans' mental health. We're trying to bend that just in the right direction. But you're like, where is this in the the spectrum of using evidence-based kinds of skills or becoming an evidence-based practice? Mm -hmm. And our goal was always a clinical one. So we are clinicians. Our primary goal in our eight years has been deliver a quality clinical experience to the now almost a thousand veterans that we've worked with. So that's really been our overarching focus. So far. Um, but yes. now, now, but now we've kept data, um, mm-hmm. mostly pre-post data for veterans, mm-hmm. mostly for our own improvement. How are people doing with their PHQ-9. And what we found is that people improve that very consistently. Year to year, almost 80% of veterans get better on their PHQ-9, even though we accept people of all diagnoses. So not everybody that comes to us is depressed. We pay Mm -hmm. people who are manic, for example, and their PHQ-9s are not very high. Year to year, no matter what your diagnosis is when you come, about 80% percent of people lower that score. Whatever it was on entry, it's lower Mm -hmm. when you get better. We've done something called a DSM-5 cross-diagnosis symptom scale. So scale that measures depression, mania, substance use, anxiety. And what we find is that no matter 
why you're entering our program, get uh, about 80% of people get better on this broad yeah. measure of symptoms. Yeah. About 80% of people improve a quality of life measure. And so we've kept this data primarily for our own quality improvement work to just do better clinical work, but we've now been able to record it over eight years. And and to Heinz's credit, the hospital where I work, we participate with all the other programs in a quarterly quality improvement process where we all track certain kinds of data every quarter and we present it to each other. So I think that has been a real good thing that the hospital has done for all of the programs, the dozens of programs that we are in a system with. Have you actually had the experience of replication and is this program going on elsewhere already? We don't have a randomized controlled trial, right? but we have very consistent data in all of these different areas, including now suicidality. We've then done retrospective analysis to figure out that hospitalization, that people are hospitalized 60% less in the year after they finish our program than in the year prior to starting Mm -hmm. our program. Mm -hmm. So we have these very concrete measures and they've been of interest to other people. So we have won a number of awards. You know, we we were recognized as one of the five strengths of our hospital mental health system when the National Office of Mental Health Services came by. We won something called a Vision 12, that's the Midwest VA region, Strong Practices Award. So just by presenting mostly this pre-post data. But the one hospital that's replicated our work is the Milwaukee VA. Hmm. And even though we pre- we run this award, we presented to all of the hospital directors in the Midwest region what we've done, they became interested because they did a site visit. They just Mm -hmm. came by just to see what our hospital does. And apparently they have a team of people that tries to go to a different hospital every year. Interesting. Just to get new ideas. And it came from from a team that actually visited what we did and talked to us about what we did. So it wasn't somehow our PowerPoint presentation to all of the hospital directors in the Midwest that generated any interest in, in doing our program. It was somebody who actually came on site actually saw a little bit of what the work was like and then talked to us specifically. And they said, we need that. They have a sense of what their experience has been? Yeah. So they've been doing it for one year. They started in October of 2019 and they've now been doing it almost exactly one year. Mm -hmm. And they started just like we did with just a small group of very dedicated people. So they had three people working on this project. One of them ended up being deployed for Mm -hmm. six months in the early stages. So so it was really just two people in the the beginning starting this program. And now she's back from deployment. So there's now three of them again. And they've had a very good experience. We shared our materials. We told them what we did. We were available for questions. Mm -hmm. And they've created a group's that uh, tend to be the same size as us. And they thought that it was mostly- what, by the way? What's your group size? Our average census is six to eight. We've grown. We started with three part-time staff. We now have six part-time staff, which Uh add up to just over two full-time employees. Okay. So we have most people are just available three-tenths of their schedule, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. And then two of us have time- outside Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings to administer and answer consults and help with other things. But it's 
two full-time equivalent. They have one full-time equivalent Uh just over that, which is the way we started. Mm -hmm. And I just had some conversations with them and was able to visit one of their groups because they're doing it they were doing it virtually like we are now in the era of the virus and have talked to them about their experience and what was so fascinating to me obviously we had some hand in trying to help them and handing help sharing our resources but we have not actively been in conversation mm-hmm. we've probably talked to them a handful of times And when we actually sat down and I said, what has been your experience over the last year? I had the experience that the veterans described, Mm. (laughs) which was she was talking and I'm like, that is our experience too. You're saying the words, but that's exactly what we experienced. She was saying things like the community is really strong. She was saying things like she really feels like veterans bond. She was saying things like they don't have to go back to the hospital as much. She was saying things like veterans share their personal phone numbers with each other so they can stay in touch. She was just sharing whatever, whatever they've noticed. And I'm kind of like, that's exactly what happens to us. So I had this real kinship experience, even though we've obviously been connected day to day, we rarely talk to each other. And then just touching back, I was like, you're having the same experience that I remember. What I'm really fascinated by is, you pointed this out a little bit earlier, but conceptually, all the things we do kind of make sense on their own, but the mix of things is not always the way people necessarily do it. So obviously Mm -hmm. we're trying to do veteran-centered care, and that's a buzzword, and nobody's going to argue you shouldn't do that. We're trying to do mental health recovery, which every hospital in the VA system certainly has somebody who's, who's trying to make their hospital move that way. And we're trying to do that for people in crisis in combination with suicide prevention. And even though all of those by themselves, none of them are controversial, when you take all of these things that we're doing and you put them together in the same package, they're not everybody's first instinct that you take somebody who is suicidal that you're worried that they're going to make a fatally bad decision. Mm -hmm. And not only do you not hospitalize them so they can't do that, but what we do every day is we say, your decisions are up to you. We can't tell you what to do. What we're going to teach you is a decision-making format that Mm -hmm. you can use to think through any decision you have. And we have the same format that goes through every single group that we do, which is one, notice your situation, two, assess it, ask some question around it before you three choose. So notice your emotions, how intense they are, what urges you have, assess whether those urges make sense to follow, and you make the choice. Notice your values, what's important to you, Assess how your values come into play into some day-to-day decision, and you make the choice. And so you take somebody who's in crisis, who's thinking about suicide, and we get people who are thinking, intending, planning, have rehearsed, and you say to them, you make the choice. You decide what to do. We're going to try to guide you to make good decisions, but we're not going to tell you what decision to make. 
that's not everybody's instinct when someone's yep. suicidal to that's put exactly all those right. things together. That's and exactly we've had a right. really good experience doing that. Well, Peter, it's always uh, great to talk to you about this program and to feel your enthusiasm, which I'm sure is contagious. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.